And if you've got a Bible, if you want to turn to 2 Timothy 3.16, and it's uh, one of the most famous passages on the power of the Bible. And it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. Then in verse 17, which we're going to focus on, that the man of God, or another way of saying that is that the messenger of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So I want to talk about how the Bible makes us equipped and competent and trained for every good work that God has for us. Don't you know that you and I, the moment we became Christians, we became ambassadors of Christ. And an ambassador is someone who lives in one country while representing another country. And uh, we are kingdom men and women. And we're on earth, but we're representing the king and his kingdom and his rule. We're messengers. We carry something for people. We carry something from God to people. We're messengers that carry a message about God's reconciliatory work through Jesus, that God has done everything through Christ, that we might be forgiven, all of our past, all of our present, all of our future sins, all paid for. And we come as representatives of God. And Paul is saying to Timothy that all scripture is God breathed and is useful for equipping us and training us to fulfill our mission in the world, the good works that God has got for us. So how does scripture equip us? How does the Bible provide us with whatever is needed? How does the Bible give us ability and knowledge to do every good work? And I want to say that all of your life can be summed up as these good works for God. Um, good works can be, if you're married, loving your husband or loving your wife. Good works can be loving your children. Good works can be doing your job as a representative of God and serving really, really well where you are. Good works can be being an employer, uh, being a business owner. Good works can be those spiritual gifts that we have, those things that we might do in the local church, in the body. They're all good works. And Paul is saying that the Bible equips us and makes us competent to do all of the things of life um, fruitfully. I want to talk about a couple of misunderstandings about the Bible. Now, it's true that the Bible does give us um, guidance and training and wisdom for how to live. It's true that the Bible talks about practical things and uh, it talks about how to maybe make a choice or the kind of values to have or the kind of priorities to have. But we don't just read the Bible to know what specific choices to make. You know, sometimes we, we I don't know if you've ever experienced this, you can be suddenly you're making a big choice in your life or you need wisdom in your life or you need to understand something in your life. And suddenly you're hungry for the scriptures because you want a specific word for a specific situation. You want God to tell you what to do. And it's true. The Bible has so much wisdom and capacity to help us make good choices. Or we just read the Bible as a kind of 
moral self-improvement book. So we read it just so that we become better people. You know, you can ha hear people read the Bible just to be challenged in their character or in their personality or just to grow. And so, and it's true that the Bible has much to say about morality and character and uh, uh, about gratitude and forgiveness and many other subjects. Or we can read the Bible, like I said, just then, just to get a promise from God. It might be we're going for a job interview and we think, I need a promise from scripture. I need a guarantee from God. Have you ever said that to God? I need to know what you're going to do in this situation. I need to know what you're going to do maybe in this health situation or this job situation or this financial situation or this relationship situation. And you come to the Bible for a promise. And I don't know if you've got one of these. Sometimes people have promise boxes, don't they? You know, you, you dip your hand in the box and bring out a promise from God. And I think, again, the Bible is a book where there's amazing promises. And God is a God of covenant and promises. It's clear that God made a promise to Abraham that he was going to give him a son. And that was a specific promise. So I'm not saying that it's wrong to look for promises. But sometimes God says things like this to us. I'm not going to give you a specific promise, but I'll give you my character. I'll give you myself. That God is a God who gives himself. And so what I want to talk about very briefly is that the Bible equips us for every good work. First of all, because it's a supernatural book breathed out by God, inspired by God, that reveals God. So it's true that the Bible can give you wisdom for choices. It's true that you can read the Bible and the Holy Spirit will make a verse jump out and you'll have a promise from God. It's true that you can read the Bible and it will teach and train you and correct you and, 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 and help you uh, grow as an individual. But I want to say that the first and primary reason that God has given us the book this library of books called the Bible is because he wants to give us a revelation of himself, that the Bible is God's story. It's God's heart, God's promises, God's covenantal faithfulness, God's interaction with humanity. It's a supernatural book that reveals God and tells us about the ultimate truth in the universe, and that is the character and nature of God. And so the Bible is a supernatural book full of revelation of the nature and the goodness and the character and the personhood of God. The Bible reveals the beauty of God, the power of God, the wisdom of God, the faithfulness of God, the mercy of God. This Bible is a relational book. It's a relational book, a letter from God to humanity so that the, the man, the woman, the young person, the believer might interact personally with God. It's God's story of, of, of his redemptive history of how he was always wanting relationship with people, how he's always a pursuer of men and women. And so when we pick up the Bible, yeah, pick it up for wisdom. Yeah, pick it up 
for a promise, but primarily pick it up for an encounter with God. And so you can read it and you can read big chunks of it. You can memorize it and think it about it. You can meditate on it. And why does it build you up? Why does it strengthen you? Why does it edify you? Why does it transform you? Because it's, it's not just a book. It's a supernatural book that as you come to the verses and come to the scripture and come to understand it, you are encountering God, the creator, and he is feeding your mind, your will, your emotions, your, he's strengthening you and he's giving you an encounter. So read the Bible with Holy Spirit. I mean, is there another book on the planet that you can pick up the book and sit with the author who inspired it and he'll teach you to understand it and handle it properly? Is there any other book available where we can read and say, actually, Moses was inspired by God and wrote those first books, you know, Deuteronomy, Exodus. And we can sit with the same author who inspired it. And he can bring it alive and make it become bread to us. Like Jesus said, I, we, I live from every word. We live not by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's incredible that the Apostle Paul, who wrote loads of the scripture in the New Testament, we can, we can sit quietly with God, the Holy Spirit, and encounter the same God that Paul encounters while he's writing to when, when he wrote to Timothy, it's an incredible book. So when we pick it up, we're picking it up relationally. We're picking it up for encounter. We're picking it up for revelation. We're picking it up to go deeper with God. We're picking it up that, that he might lead us and guide us and direct us and teach us and transform us and shepherd us. God is not a harsh teacher. So all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, training and correcting in righteousness. And so as we're with God, we're encountering God. Sometimes he lovingly corrects us and sometimes he's training us and sometimes he's teaching us and sometimes he's um, maturing us as we read it. Let me say this, that the primary way that God causes us to repent change our mind and turn from sin is by making us happy in himself can i say that's the primary way that god changes us is by changing our taste buds i think pam said it earlier on by tasting and seeing that the lord is good and uh, it's obvious what's the reason we sin it's because sin appeals why because sin promises some form of satisfaction and to some degree it does until as james says when it's it's fully mature it gives birth to all kinds of death god causes us to choose righteousness and holiness and justice and the kingdom by ruining us for anything else he grips our heart satisfies us deeply so we say why would i be satisfied as c.s lewis says for making mud pies in the gutter when i've got a home in the palace why would i be satisfied with anything less so our first and fundamental reason for reading the bible is to be happy in god 
is not to impress God. God's impressed with Jesus Christ and you're in Christ. So he's impressed with you. And there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so he doesn't need you to read the Bible to impress him or impress anybody else. You're holy. You're righteous. That's settled. But you do read it to encounter God, to be happy in God. And then the person who is happy in God overflows being a messenger of God in everything in their life. So first priority, you pick up the Bible to feast on it, to feed on it, to grow in it. And as you're in this revelatory moment in scripture and you're encountering God and and you're meeting with him, what he's doing is equipping you for good works. And let me just say this, not every time you pick up the Bible, you come away thinking that was a revelatory feast. But let me tell you this, that as you make it a habit of your life, it transforms you. Not every meal is Christmas. Not every meal is Christmas dinner. Not every meal is the best of, of the best of best food. Some meals just feed you. And sometimes that's with the Bible. There are moments where you just pick it up daily. I'm coming to meet with God. I'm coming to be changed by God. And you come away thinking, I'm not quite sure what was going on there. But isn't it amazing that so often the thing that God feeds you about himself is a preparation for what might come later on? Have you ever experienced that? You think, I don't know what I got out of that. I'm not quite sure what was happening there. And later on, that was exactly the revelation of the character and the nature and the wisdom and the capacity of God that you needed for the thing you face later on. George Muller, who lived a hundred years ago in England, was famous for caring for thousands of orphans and see God answer his daily prayers for their provision. He gave this message when he was 59 years old at a New Year's service. It's a powerful call to be in the Bible, uh, the word of God every day. He says this in his preach. He says, we have through the goodness of the Lord been permitted to enter upon another year. Remember, it's a New Year's Eve preach. We have been permitted to enter upon another year and the minds of many among us will no doubt be occupied with plans for the future and the various fears of our work and service for the Lord. If our lives are spared, we shall be engaged in those, the welfare of our families, the prosperity of our business, our work and service for Christ may be considered the most important matters to be attended to. And then he says, but according to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this, above all things, See to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims upon your attention. But I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you seek above all things to have your souls truly 
happy in God himself. Seek by day. Seek to make this the most important business of your life. This has been my firm and settled condition for the past five and 30 years. That's an interesting way of saying 35 years he's done this. For the first four years after my conversion, I, know, I knew not its vast importance. But now after much experience, I especially commend this point to the notice of my younger brethren and sisters in Christ. The secret of true effectual service is, the, is joy in God. Let me say that again. The secret of all true effectual service is joy in God. Having experimented acquaintance and fellowship with God himself. And so we can say that in wrapping up, we might be thinking about issues about the future. We might be thinking about how current circumstances are affecting our family, our work, our business. We might be thinking about how we can be fruitful for God wherever we are. We might be thinking about the health and welfare of our children. We might be thinking about the situation in schools or the situation in the health service. We might have many things and many responsibilities that are pressing upon us. Let us hear what George Muller says. It is of, of supreme and paramount importance that you seek above all things to have your souls happy in God himself. And can I commend that there is no greater thing that we can give our lives to than to be happy in God, to come to the Bible every day, first and primarily for a fresh encounter with him, to have our souls, to have our minds, to have our mil um, wills shaped by who God is. There is nothing more important than out from that, all the good works and the fruitfulness and everything that we need will be answered and will be met. Our first priority is to be happy in God. And so I pray, God, that you would cause us to fall freshly in love with your word, God. I pray that we would hunger for it and pant for it, that we would read it with the humility of sitting with Holy Spirit as we, we pick it up. I pray that, God, we might go to um, commentaries to understand historical background so it comes alive in vibrant ways that we might be those who understand the original context that it was written so it becomes real to us. I pray that we can place ourselves in the book and imagine and the smells and the sights and to think about it deeply. What was it like on that Saturday after Jesus was crucified and they didn't know if you'd ever, they, they were mourning and sad. What was it like when all their hopes were dashed and they scattered and went back to fishing? What was it like when they were frightened and disappointed and overwhelmed? What was Sunday like when they came and said, the master's alive? What was it like when they first saw him resurrected and put their hand in his wounds? What was it like for doubting Thomas when he gets a restoration and he gets to see? What was it like for Peter when he felt he had messed up like nobody had ever messed up and he's overwhelmed by shame and disappointment and regret and pain? 
and then he gets a recommissioned and gets reignited to go and feed the sheep. Let's place ourselves in these scriptures. Let's be sitting there as one who sits next to, as it were, Peter and, and those who hear Jesus commission us and hear his love for us. Let this book become alive. And if we've got no appetite, sometimes the scripture is a thing where you eat to get hungry, as Bill Johnson said. Sometimes when you've got no hunger for the book and you've got no hunger to read it, eat to get hungry. Just begin to feast on it. So thank you, God.